striving for perfection makes us not notice little things that make us happy every day. And to be honest, nothing can be perfect. And striving for more often leads to postponed life syndrome. When we think that we will finally enjoy life and be happy when we graduate, get promotion, get job, house, etc., etc. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. Together, we will break all the stereotypes about Ukrainians so that when the flag of Ukraine is lifted anywhere in the world, everyone will know Ukraine and its unique culture because today Ukraine has a dynamic new generation that will change the world. Hello, my name is Aziz and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help liquidate the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me, and even though he struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life, he always told me many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then, from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to help build orphanages for Ukrainian children. And thank you all so much for the support. More than 220 people participated in this project for Ukraine, from the vice president of the Helen Marlin Group to the vice chancellor of the UGCC Church to the president of the Erasmus Student Network Kiev to the president of the World Trade Center Kiev, to students from the FLEX program, Ukraine Global Scholars, Yale University, Harvard, and the London School of Economics, to the United Nations, to interns at the Ukrainian Parliament and at the Canadian Parliament, to top 1% students in Ukraine. But not only them. This project is for all Ukrainians from all backgrounds. So if you wish to participate, send me a message on Instagram at aziz.future and join the Telegram channel Kiev Future. My goal is to make interviews with hundreds of Ukrainians and the world is listening. This podcast is already top 50 in the United Kingdom, France, Switzerland and Monaco, top 25 in Austria, Germany, Canada, Russia and Poland, top 15 in Australia, Italy, Spain and Dubai, and top 10 in Norway, Sweden, the Netherlands, South Korea, Singapore, and many other places because this is now officially the number one podcast on Apple about Ukraine. Together, we will break the stereotypes. Together, we will help all other countries discover and respect the greatness of Ukrainian people, and this good reputation will support the development of Ukraine, creating more opportunities for every Ukrainian to have a better life. So let's begin. My guest today is Yulia Rudenko. 
Yulia is a human rights reporter at Euromaidan Press and the Flux alumna of 2016. She had internships at the Center for Civil Liberties, the Ministry of Veteran Affairs of Ukraine, and at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine. Yulia was a volunteer at TEDx Kyiv and editor at the European Youth Parliament and a volunteer at Open Rada Project at the Ukrainian Parliament. Born in Cherniv, Ukraine, she currently lives in Kyiv and studies international law and English interpretation as a double major at the Institute of International Relations, Taras Shevchenko National University of Kyiv. Yulia has experience studying in the Czech Republic and in Tbilisi, Georgia. She loves to dance and has more than 10 years of experience in folk and classic dance and traveled to Germany, France, and Poland to share the Ukrainian culture abroad. Her dance assembly got Grand Prix in International Folk Dance Festival in the Czech Republic in 2014. Yulia participated in various educational projects as well. From 2014 to 2016, she narrated educational videos to raise awareness within the Ukrainian youth about civic consciousness and healthy life choices. In 2020, she conducted workshops for third to ninth grade students on human rights and community services. In 2019, she assisted a first-of-its-kind Ukrainian project for activists' rights at a human rights NGO. Her favorite quote is, Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Yulia, how are you today? Hello, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, fantastic, excited. And to begin on a more emotional level, I would like to ask you, Yulia, when you really want to feel alive, to feel your favorite emotions in life, what is an activity that you like to do to forget all troubles and feel exactly how you love to feel? That's a great question. Thank you. When I want to feel most alive, I just go to Chernihiv, my hometown, to see my family and my little sister, who is only four years old. And kids give you the best energy, the best joy and love they have. And have, and I find that very fulfilling. One yes. second. There is so much in that answer that I would like to explore it more. But let's specify. If you could only go to Cherniv go to your favorite places there but not meet your family or you spend time with your family but no kids or anywhere in the world you spend a day full of kids getting their innocence and whatever interactions you wish which one would you choose definitely my family so you're family oriented correct yes that's true what does family give you that really close friends maybe do not give? I would say unconditional love and support, while some friends might also want it back. But, you know, students nowadays, especially in Ukraine, um, 
who also try to combine work and study are always very busy. And as I talk to my friends, uh, they complain that they have very little time for their nearest and dearest, which is their, their family. But still, our families do understand and don't wait for anything back. They just give love. Thank you. Are you sure that all families are that way? Just because it seems a typical trope, whether in TV series or movies or whatever, that families are not unconditionally loving. But maybe in your situation or in Ukraine, it's the case. Tell me more about that. Are you and all your friends in and within families that unconditionally love you? I do believe that uh, Ukraine is very much a family-oriented country. And I do think that it might be a positive stereotype um, for Ukraine that parents do self-sacrifice a lot for their kids. So I would say that it's about the country, not specifically about my family. I love that. And when you approach projects or create things that are, don't include your family, do you try to create some form of family within the team? Is that something that you value? And if yes, how do you go about that? I do think that having more of interpersonal connections with people who you work with is absolutely important. Um, when I was going to become a course monitor in my first year of the university, which is basically a position uh, when uh, I had to be responsible for communicating um, all important information to the students, uh, we had to work as a team with other guys from the university. And what we found is that in the beginning, we did have conflicts because everyone was very ambitious um, and probably a little bit selfish, but we decided to uh, take a different approach to that. So we just went for a coffee together and that made us feel more like a family, which definitely did have a positive impact on our work dynamics later. That's wonderful. And to understand it a bit more, you mentioned that it's about creating interpersonal relationships. And then you spoke about calming down ambitions by having a coffee together. So in general, how do you go about creating interpersonal relationships? Is it time is it knowing about people's life outside of work or productive affairs or whatever? How is it if you were to look on the outside at the process of building relational equity, as some people call it, how do you think that happens? I think that the most important aspect of creating those interpersonal connections is being curious and proactive or being a leader, because to me, a leader is someone who takes a genuine interest in other people and tries to always ask them how they're doing and if needed to give them a helping hand. So that is rather about the attitude which is shown 
in little moments. For example, before starting a conversation about some project aspect, we would ask each other in a team how we're doing and also maybe chat about our personal lives, send memes to each other, laugh together and celebrate victories or cry a little bit about our failures um, together. Thank you. So if I understood correctly, it's about empathy and caring as well as having emotional experiences of ups and downs together, correct? Yes, absolutely. That's sort of love language. Thank you. It's the love language of drama, I guess, because (laughs) you cry together and you laugh together. I had at least two guests here, girls, who said, we love drama, we need drama. <laughs> no, really, they said, we cannot live life without drama in our relationships, and it's correct. <laughs> That's, oh, one of them was the PR person for uh, Slava Kaminska, or I don't know how to say that correctly, and the other one <laughs> is another girl, and they said that clearly, like, life without drama is boring. So I guess for you, a little bit of drama in within ambitious people is the way and to ask you now about children (laughs) how different is it with children do you cry together and laugh together or how does it go with the kids you mean yes because now let's look at contrast when you are with children what about that experience is unique different to being around adults all day long? I would say that I feel more patient around the kids than around adults. And I feel like a mentor in a very good way. And kids make me think of human psychology more. So, for instance, if my little sister is crying about something, I stop, take a breath in, make a breath out and think before responding to her in a way to make her calm down. So I would say my reactions in communication with kids are more well thought and rational rather than reactive. Like it does happen with adults. (laughs) They make me work on my emotional intelligence more. The kids, I mean. Yes. So with adults, it's about leadership, and with children, it's about mentorship, correct? Yes, but I'm striving to make it more like cooperation and partnership with adults rather than leadership. What does cooperation mean for you? It is the ability to first communicate feelings, emotions, and desires in an honest and respectful way without blaming a person, but rather defending my own interest. And on the other hand, to be able to understand the need of the person who he or she is trying to communicate verbally. So it's like Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. I guess that's a great framework. for what you're mentioning. And as a writer, when you write, 
How do you try in a way to create interpersonal connections with the reader? Or do you view yourself more as a reporter and therefore you don't, you're not an editorial kind of writer? Uh, we, I do um, cover both some news where um, I'm asked to present data, statistics and facts. But what I love way more is communicating concepts and ideas through human stories. Because, for instance, one thing, if we say that war veteran, veterans after coming back home feel difficult, feel depressed and misunderstood. But a human story can tell way more than that. When that veteran would speak from himself, not me speaking of his experience. And he would say how he feels when people look at him on public transportation because he does not have an arm or how he wakes up at night because of nightmares. And I think that human stories, which are narrated by the persons who had the experiences we never had, are the most powerful and communicate messages way better. I love this topic. So let's nerd and geek out a little bit on it. Mm. When you have a story, what elements, formula, framework, components do you feel you need to include for a story to be engaging as a structure? We're not yet speaking about the emotions and the content, etc. I believe the structure should be simple and accessible to everyone. And that's the first thing I learned when being a Ukrainian had the task to report to the foreigners who have never lived in this context and need more structure and more details and simpler words to actually get the message. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But that is for everyone, not only foreigners, that when you write simply, what I meant, is it like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey? Is it maybe like um, only the structure of beginning, middle and end? Is it more like uh, that structure of uh, rising uh, action, climax, and then lowering action and... Uh, resolution or you know what I mean like how do you know do you do it subconsciously how do you approach the structure of the story itself and we'll speak about everything since it's so important for you uh, this uh, question sounds rather a uh, technical to me and I'm happy you asked it because I've never thought of how I write because I write how my feeling and intuition tells me to. And stories can be written in different ways. They may have several peaks. Also, they may not be ended and imply some sort of second part to them. So just make sure they are dynamic and easy to read. I love this. Let's speak about intuition, but to conclude about stories... Is it like if you hear someone speak in your language and they make a mistake, you feel like, ah, oh, this is wrong, and you don't like logically know why? 
is it like that that you feel in a way that the right emotion or the right flow is how the story is and therefore you write it or are you similar to me where it almost feels like the story is being written on some paper in your imagination and when it feels like given birth and it's difficult but when it's done you're like ah, and you write it on the page or how do you intuitively write a story i just make some space for myself uh, to feel creative and I may uh, be on a bus stop or making a coffee and think and think and think, which is brainstorming. And then finally, the structure sparks in my head and I just go with it. Just pour it on the paper. Wonderful. I love that. And to go a bit deeper into intuition by itself, what makes you trust your intuition? And I will tell you why. Many people throughout their lives had moments where they followed their intuition and then something bad happened. So they don't trust it anymore and they try to think logically. While other people say, oh, I don't know whether I'm hearing my intuition and my heart or like the voice of my mother or whatever it is that they have or anything like that. How do you know you're following your intuition. How do you know it is your intuition? And very importantly, why do you trust your intuition? I do believe that uh, human is more than just our rational part, our brain, our analytical skills. It's also about the feelings, but feelings are very much related to our analytical rational part. I also think that I'm doing right and people are doing right when they decide to trust intuition because I feel that by its meaning, intuition is something created by our subconscious analysis of micro-situations that we have. For instance, when we see a person for the first time, we might have a good feeling about him or her and we don't know why but actually our brain does because it reads mimics body language and those little things that we don't usually notice on a conscious level i really love this you're speaking about malcolm gladwell's blink that book was called and in general the way the intuition works i notice you say often i feel which is a very kinesthetic way of being in this world. I don't know whether you're highly visual, whether you are auditory, but probably developed in the kinesthetic as a dancer. So to ask you, is it easy for you to imagine a different world, to imagine a different situation and feel and be in it in your imagination? Is it easy for you to imagine new songs, new sounds, to live through voices and enjoy audiobooks as a better way to learn than anything? Or are you highly sensitive to sensations? If you go in the sunshine, you feel the breeze on your skin, the warmth of the sun, everything around, you're more present in the moment. I know all three can be you, but which one could be the more dominant side? 
Great question. You spoke of sensations, audios, and the third one was? Visual. I would say that visual indeed. And maybe that's also the reason why I love visualization, like sending signals to the universe in order to get what you want. Um, and I believe that is because of uh, my dance experience. When I used to uh, dance in a, an assembly, we created a picture on a stage because there could be 50 people, 50 dancers on a stage at the same time. And our goal was not to move on our own. We had to also follow the lines and make sure that we are in line with other people in order to make a graphic um, experience, visual experience for the audience. And probably that's why picture is what matters the most. Yes, it sounds very wonderful. What caught my attention is you use visualization in order to manifest probably things in the universe. How do you believe that works? How do you believe we interact and build interpersonal connections with the universe? How does it work to get, you know, whatever you want through visual manifestations? Um, at the moment, I'm uh, reading the book, which is The Why Are You Here Cafe? And basically, it asks many interesting questions and presents interesting thoughts. And one of the thoughts was that once we have a plan, which is based on the question, on the answer to a question, why are you here? We can't but do everything to reach this goal. It's like knowing on the map where an X is, we just subconsciously do everything to reach that place. Excuse me. So I believe that how it works is with visualization is we have a plan and we visualize it in a picture. And then we often think of it during the day and that helps us take little steps in order to actually achieve the goal. But as for visualization aspect, I believe it's just more helpful to know what our plan is about to make it more detailed. It's easier to have something on paper, which we can see, than just keep it in our mind. This is like in church, there are icons of saints which make this spiritual experience, mental experience for religious people easier because they can also see, not only think about God, for example. I love what you're saying right now. So if I told you to imagine in your hand, there is a book, an imaginary book, can you see it? Yes, I can. For some reason, it has a red cover yes. and yellow red pages. Cover and yellow pages. Can you look at the title? What could it be? For some reason, the title is Love. For some reason, the title is Love. And imagine that you will open on a page in, that, in there, and there will be the answer to 
why are you here when it relates to the energy of love? Open that page, the yellow page, and tell me if you see in it something written or a picture or an icon or anything. I do see a woman in nature who is wearing a flower crown and there are birds around her. A woman in nature wearing a flower crown and birds around her. To me, this is about being in harmony with everything around and with our own selves and just accepting everything because nature is not perfect. It is just how it is. And everything about it is normal and we accept everything about it. So that's probably about accepting what comes. Yes, loving what is, as Byron Katie calls it, that every time you fight with reality, you lose. So it's about being in harmony with ourselves, with what's around, and understanding that reality is what it is, and therefore to accept it. Did I understand correctly? Yes, thank you for summing up this in such a beautiful way. And... Why is that important for you to remember right now? Because I believe that striving for perfection makes us not notice little things that make us happy every day. And to be honest, nothing can be perfect. And still trying to achieve more and more really gives happiness. It rather gives anxiety and stress, especially now when there is enormous amount of information and opportunities and tasks. I love what you're saying because I used to be a perfectionist, but I healed <laughs> from that disease. So I know what you mean. And if I understood you correctly, striving for perfection to do more and more and more in a world where there's always more to do more new information more new opportunities therefore you get into both anxiety about missing out on the best stuff and paralysis of analysis from too many choices is not a way that leads to happiness while noticing the small things that are here now and extracting the joy out of them, the fulfillment, and even being grateful for whatever is, no matter where what it is, can add a dimension of fulfillment to it. That is, if I understood you correctly, the better way, right? I absolutely agree with you and want to add that this striving for more often leads to postponed life syndrome when we think that we will finally enjoy life and be happy when we graduate, get promotion, get job, house, etc., etc. Yes, and it's worse than that because there is something about the brain called hedonistic adaptation, which is even when you get those goals, you will feel the same as you're feeling today. But you trained yourself and your brain to not be satisfied now Therefore, no matter what you do, you'll be unhappy. It's like people say, I'll be happy when I have a house. When they get a the house, they're like, oh, 
I'll be happy when I have a hundred thousand dollars. When they have that, they're like, oh, well, no, my friend has 500,000. I want more than 500. It's always, even people, they have 10 million. They look, I'm not a billionaire. So they're never happy and it never ends. It's the rat's race that is endless. While we can choose to be happy now, because in reality, we don't need a lot. We can be happy and striving for even more happiness rather than unhappy and waiting for the final resolution. Or as there is a proverb that I love very much, it's much better to travel happily than to arrive. So it's about the journey more than anything. And it relates to the stories you are speaking about as stories are a journey, if anything, more than a, a final thing. As I remember someone was speaking about stories that the story is about the transformation of the person, whether negatively or positively. So if there is no transformation and they get to the end directly, there is no story. But people want to fast forward to the end and ignore that the excitement and the joy is in the story. And it reminds me of you with your little sister you probably appreciate about children the fact that they see and enjoy and find fascination in the small things in life rather than waiting for to be adults or whatever in order to be happy. There is no child who said, I'll be happy when I go to university. They always say, find happiness in what's around anything that they can find. What do you think? That's a, a wonderful thought. I do agree, and I think that actually the reason why adults feel like time flies faster is because in most cases, not all, their day is not that fulfilled and rich with those little moments to be appreciated. While for kids, every day is like a new story, because they notice beautiful things more. Tell me about that. How to notice beautiful things? Imagine you were speaking to someone who doesn't understand what that means because they forgot how the curiosity of a child and that fulfillment and joy and excitement. So if you say to them, find the beauty in the small things, they tell you, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to see that. I, I can't find it. If you were in simple words and you said you write for foreigners in a simple way, how would you tell them what is the meaning of beauty in simple things? How is How to go about seeing it and finding the joy in whatever comes in the day and living it as an adventure and a story? I would say that first thing, in order to be in capacity to see and notice beautiful things around, a person must get good sleep. Because if we do not take good care of our physical body, we end up very unhappy. So I would say that do sports, drink water, eat healthy, sleep well, and then some might feel inspiration and desire and just natural noticing of 
beautiful things around. But if getting enough sleep is not the case, then I would say to create artificially a habit of noticing beautiful things and be more mindful of our thoughts that come and go. Artificial habit can be created by journaling, writing down our things we're grateful for every evening for 10 minutes a day. It's an absolutely great way to train our brain to concentrate on the positivity. And also other moments, well, we do all have them when we are just walking on the street, thinking of work, feeling tired, and notice that for some reason everything around irritates us. Irritates us. The waitress, the woman on the bus stop, or even our family members. In those moments, we need to be very conscious and stop ourselves and ask what we can give to ourselves to feel better and maybe give more love to ourselves because usually not noticing beauty around comes from personal dissatisfaction and some psychological unwell state. I love this. And I would like to ask you about love because it seems to be so important for you loving yourself, unconditional love from family. Your book has love on the title and loving what is happening in reality, even if it's not perfect. In a way, if you were to define in the dictionary of Yulia, (laughs) what is the meaning of love? And if you were to describe like three things about a person who is feeling that energy of love, what would you say? That's an amazing question, which after our conversation, I would definitely think about more. But the first things that come to my mind now is that when a person feels love, they first forgive both themselves and people around. They second care. This can be taking care of our mental or physical health or offering some help to our friends or family members. And a third, oh, that's tough, but that's very interesting to think about. Thank you. Do you meditate? Uh, Sometimes when I feel like everything is too much, but I think that meditation should become not just sort of painkiller, but a prevention method also. (laughs) Do you do yoga? I do, not that often, but also would love to have it as a habit. Then I will ask you about dance. Have you ever had the experience that some dancers describe where when they really embody the choreography and it becomes natural, sometimes it feels like the universe or energy from the world or God or angels or whatever are dancing through them and it's almost like a divine experience where time stops or becomes timeless and they're just moving and watching themselves move in flow and it's completely no thoughts in their head just enjoying every second every sensation and almost feeling goosebumps 
from witnessing greatness, almost thinking, wow, I am doing this and it's even better than I think. And I'm not alone. It's like something in the world and the universe is supporting me in this moment. Have you had that? That's an absolutely astonishing way to describe dance. And your description made me go back to the moments when my friends, dancers were on the stage performing a piece together and the audience was, we could not see the audience because they were sitting in the dark. We could only see the stage lights, some smoke for decoration and just not think of anything that's a very spiritual and emotional experience and i would say that it's the greatest one of the greatest feelings of satisfaction and joy ever which also is pretty addictive it was hard not to get on the stage or just on the rehearsals when we had breaks Yes, it's being alive fully and completely, if I were to say so. And you mentioned before fulfillment when you are with children, and now you said satisfaction and joy. What's the difference between fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy? Or are they just synonyms? I would say that satisfaction and joy are synonyms, and they constitute a smaller part of fulfillment, which is something greater and which is something I believe I'm striving for in life. I love that because psychologically, happiness is temporary, but fulfillment is everlasting. That you can be crying and fulfilled because you are on your right path, doing like you said in that book, what you are meant to do here on this earth, even if it's difficult, you'll be fulfilled. But happiness comes from celebrating some milestone or achievement or any other event, etc. And tell me, though, what is the relationship between fulfillment and love? I believe that love is one of the ways that we can feel fulfilled when we do express love uh, to ourselves and to the world around. And I do agree that fulfillment can also be there when we are feeling blue. And here, love comes because we still can love and be loved when we're sad. And that's actually the exact moment, the sadness, when we should use love to ourselves as an, or to the world as an instrument to maybe heal and feel fulfilled. So fulfillment is larger than love, correct? I believe so. Then I have so much to say, but why is your book called Love and not Fulfillment? I'm curious. <laughs> because love could also be a part of fulfillment, but at the same time, an instrument to achieve it and maintain okay. it. Is love what you're trying to grow more of in your life right now? So maybe it's a priority or you're just a romantic girl full of love? 
I do think that uh, growing love in ourselves is um, something that we can do every day to feel um, more happiness. And that's love comprises um, many feelings, many habits, like the same gratitude habit. Uh, we love the universe, for instance, for giving us what we have. So all those feelings are interrelated. So I would say that I'm not just a romantic girl, but I mean, that also is true, <laughs> but probably trying to grow and feel more love and be less like a machine um, and not be all about work. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, one of the ways to reach fulfillment is first to love ourselves. And in Buddhist psychology, love is metta, which is to love things so much that you don't want to change them. And therefore, forgiveness is a, one way to express love. So it's to love ourselves, whether by loving ourselves or caring for ourselves, accepting ourselves, taking care of ourselves. It's loving other people unconditionally and helping them and offering them service and sharing their stories that need to be heard so that other people create interrelationships or interconnections, which is a form of love or, you know, brotherly love like Philadelphia or whatever it is. It's loving the moment, loving reality, even if it's imperfect. It is also loving why we are on this earth and loving the now so much that we don't sacrifice it for a potential future that may or may not come because we don't control everything. Did I understand correctly? That's a very lovely um, summary. But I also would like to add that loving this world, people and ourselves does not mean the ban on progress and growth. Yes. And you said love is one way to get fulfillment. What could be other ways? Fulfillment can be gained also by accept love, gratitude, doing again what we love, which is our hobbies. Everything seems to just spin around the word love. Yes, that's why. What's the difference between gratitude and love? It seems to me just another facet. It's like they call it uh, that nirvana in Buddhism, they say it's a multifaceted jewel. Well, depending on the angle, you see a different facet, but it's the same jewel, which it seems all to me like love for you is the core and it has many facets that it expresses itself, whether forgiveness, whether passion, whether communication, whether cooperation, whether family, whether gratitude, whether self-care. Is there anything else that is not love, but is part of reaching fulfillment? Because I was surprised that you said love is one of the ways that we can get fulfillment. And you said it's a tool. So what else could there be? And is it really all love and love is the diamond? 
or the lotus <laughs> in a very poetic way, where each um, part of the lotus or each facet of this diamond is a different expression of love named different names. I actually do think that love is the core. However, we also need to have discipline and knowledge to get fulfillment because our brain works the way that um, producing new ideas, introducing something brand new to our lives, growing from all aspects is not comfortable for our brain and it tries to resist. That's why procrastination uh, jumps in, laziness. I love that you're so cool. This is, this is called the Jonas complex, which is from Maslow or the fear of success. And you are describing it so beautifully that bringing new things to the world, evolving, as they say, some of the psychologists, that for us to become the next version of ourselves, there is a, a door that is a door of fear of success that you need to pass it, but most people retreat to their comfort zone. So if I understood you co- correctly, yes. loving our comfort zone is love, <laughs> but we need the c- courage in order to go out of it as well. Yes, courage and discipline. Absolutely. I do believe that uh, schedule tasks and planning are something that uh, helps us also to do our labor of love, like the work we love, the habits we love. If we don't plan them and stick to the plan, um, probably we just don't do it and end up depressed. <laughs> and also knowledge is something that is needed uh, because, for instance, knowledge of planning that's just one of the examples. The systems of planning, I mean. Thank you. Then I have a question for you because recently scientists and psychologists were studying procrastination and they said and found that the human subconscious or brain needs to be like ready to do things. And therefore procrastination isn't always our laziness. It's actually that in that moment, your mood, your preparation is not ready for that activity. And I had a girl who is a dancer as well in this podcast who said what she does in the beginning of the week, she does her goals and tasks, but she doesn't schedule the time for it because maybe she says, okay, it's Monday, but on Wednesday at 10 a.m. I will do writing, but at 10 a.m. she's not in the mood to write but she's in the mood to dance or to do whatever else. So instead, she writes her tasks, but then whatever the mood gives her to do, she will do that task fully, give it everything, and move on to the next, knowing that at the end of the week, she will do everything, but she doesn't schedule the hours because sometimes she is not in that hour in the best mood for that activity what are your thoughts on this? Or do you believe in aestheticism and in being a martyr and punishing yourself through pain in order to get to heaven by going through hell? To be honest, I also love flexible scheduling way more. I don't like being harsh on myself. Uh, it, you know, it's like in Finnish schools, 
they have uh, very high standards and kids are usually very smart. Uh, but the system they use is very light and it gives very little pressure on the students in Finland. Um, so I do believe that it's more productive to be not so tough on ourselves when planning for me. Uh, but I also noticed that whenever I feel like I'm procrastinating, I just need to push myself a little, a little bit more and do a thing for five minutes And then I just start loving it. But I also think that procrastination, like you said, is not just laziness. It's way deeper. We may not just like the activity that we're engaged in, or we have bad physical or mental state, or we're perfectionists, and we have this fear of doing a thing not that perfect. And I also think that There are things that we can do in order to get ourselves in the mood for work and avoid procrastination, which is not being more strict on ourselves, but which is the rituals we like. It would be a good idea to just write down 50 things that make me feel better and do that before the day starts. So any other activities can just flow I think many good days which are productive start with rituals and just some time for ourselves. I love that. It's called bookending the day where you begin the day with the things that make you stronger before you become begin productivity and you end it in a way that both allows you to learn from that day and prepares you to have good sleep. And as you said, if you don't sleep well, you cannot really see the beauty in life and we cannot be inspired naturally to do so. Is this correct? Yes. And about knowledge, the Pareto principle, which is that 20% of the causes lead to 80% of the effects, when applied to knowledge, it's the knowledge you need in any topic is only 20% of what is like available, what is basic there. And if you know it, you can get 80% of the results and the rest of the knowledge, anything that you'll be studying maximum will give you 20% extra, which means maybe you can spend like 50 hours learning that 20% and then each additional 50 hours will give you only 1% more. So it's not worth it. That is in theory, but the human mind has this desire for secrets where it feels like no i know this but maybe there is some secret somewhere that will give me the best results and will make me know how to do this so much more wonderfully what are your thoughts about this do you feel feel that we should be satisfying as the psychologists call it which is get 20% of the knowledge use it and don't worry about the rest or Do you believe that is nonsense and we should keep on doing 10,000 hours of learning on any topic, no matter what, even if it gives us a few percentages? But why not keep growing that knowledge? But at the same time, what it does, it, it makes us sometimes not do everything because we think I should do it perfectly. And to do it perfectly, I should know everything before beginning. I hope that makes sense to you, but as a perfectionist, that probably does. Uh, 
That does make a lot of sense. I do believe that a thing for the sake of a thing is not a good idea. Like learning for the sake of learning is not something that would work for me personally. But I like it when there is a task, for example, to write an article or to come up with a project idea. And in order to get get to this task, we need some extra knowledge. So knowledge should rather be not the main occupation. I mean, obtaining the knowledge should not be the main occupation, but rather it should be the tool which we should apply wisely. You know how they say work not hard, but work smart. And I believe that the result can be pretty good when less time than we might think we could spend is actually spent. And often perfectionists complete, for instance, one project a year, which is 110% good, but not perfectionists have way productive results because they complete five projects, which are maybe 80 or 95% good. And as a result, non-perfectionists get more life experience and bring more good to people who benefit from the project. I agree with you. I love that going for 80% is really, really important. There is even a book about that, the 80% solution. I think that's the name, if I'm sure, as well as learning things based on tasks, which is just in time learning as in the Toyota way. That is really wonderful. I noticed you said love is a tool for fulfillment and you said learning is a tool. Why are things tools for you? Why do you perceive them as tools? I mean, if you were a tool maker, I would understand it. But in many ways, you were a dancer and an an international law student and an English um, interpreter and a writer. So why this fascination with tools? Because I find that uh, both love uh, and what was the second thing I said? You said knowledge is a tool and discipline as well. I remember all three, you said these three lead to fulfillment. Love plus discipline plus knowledge get to fulfillment. Just because they can be applied in any sphere and they are never the goals. Because if discipline is the goal, it just does not do any good for a person. Discipline Love and knowledge are something that can help us in any sphere, literally. Thank you. So is there something in between then that discipline, love and knowledge are applied to why we are here in this world, which when we do that, we get fulfillment? I think that they do help us reach our life goals. And I think it's It might also be a universal formula for every person, no matter their exact goal. For some, it might might be finding their purpose. For some, being a good parent. And for some, bringing up some change in the country. I love that. So life, those are life purposes, correct? True. What's the relationship between fulfillment and life purpose? 
I believe that fulfillment is something that we do feel to the fullest extent every day. It's sort of our inner state when everything is just all right. And our life purpose is not something that we have in our hands every day. It's rather something very up high and every day we don't have it fully. We just make a step closer to it. And if we're fulfilled, we're moving towards our life purpose more consistently. I love that. That was so poetic. So if I understood you fully, for us to be fulfilled, we need to feel love, including seeing the beauty in the journey. And we should have discipline and following our habits that we love. And it's about knowing how to do the next step. And therefore, when we have all three, we feel the energy of fulfillment and we more consistently put one step forward. We do it because we have discipline. We do it because we know how to do that next step. And we do it because of love. And it gets us closer and closer to our life purposes. Correct? Exactly like that. Thank you so much. And to finish this, this is the question I ask often, but this was so cool that it might be like totally a change of topic or not. Maybe it's the same advice, but a lot of people felt stuck, depressed, unhappy during the quarantine and pandemic. What is your best advice for them to get better and to feel alive again and fulfilled? And I guess we already spoke about the universal formula, but I don't know how you will answer this one. Oh, that's actually a very interesting question. I did not feel uh, depressed because uh, I adjust easily. I'm just lucky to have this feature. But um, I would say to embrace this experience and not try to push yourself to feel always happy and always positive as this pushing ourselves forcibly out of depressed state might create even more stress, depression, and can become a toxic positivity for us. So just to be mindful of our feelings, accept the state, and this shall pass. Yes, this too shall pass, and loving what is, rather than trying to force a reality to be different to what the harmony is. And the harmony, now, even before we finish, I remembered the importance of harmony for you. What does harmony mean, and how does it relate to love, knowledge, discipline, or fulfillment? That's such a complex and interesting question. I would say that harmony uh, can be divided into four sections. And uh, the first section is our social life, our personal interactions with people. The second one is our spiritual fulfillment. And there we can apply, for example, going to the theater or reading a book. The third section is our body. Is that how we feel? Uh, 
whether we have physical activity or not, how we eat, how we sleep. And the last one is business, which is about our study, job, etc. And psychologists claim that each of the four sections should be, should take 24% of our life, of our time every day. But I do believe that every person should come up with their own model because some can be happy and feel balanced with their social life being 80% and everything else being less and etc. Yes, it's like what's written in the Delphi temple, know thyself. That's like the prime directive in life. And some psychologists actually make it into six, which is body, emotions, knowledge, finance, relationships, and spirituality. So I guess if it's six, I don't know how you'll divide that exactly, but try your best. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you, Yulia. If people want to learn more about you, to know more about you, what is the best social media to do that? And is there any project that you would like to share some information about or your work? You can speak about it now, and I'll make sure to write the links in the description of the episode as well. I would just share your Maidan Press website because it does have clear, structured, and good analysis information about Ukraine. That's kind of promotion of our <laughs> online journal. And as for my project, I'm thinking of something right now, but it's still an idea and not an implemented, implemented thing yet. Uh, so I would just share my um, preference for social media, and that would be Facebook. Thank you very much, Yulia. It was a pleasure, a privilege, an honor, and I wish you a great day. Thank you very much. This conversation is one of the best things that happened to me this month. I enjoyed it very much and I have a wonderful aftertaste and will be thinking about it for some long time, I think. Thank you very much.